All right, we're in Romans chapter 12 this morning. I, the word, I mean, the word on the street is that uh, last week we were in Romans chapter 12. Is that right? Wow. Well, this was not planned. So we're in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 21 is what we're going to cover this morning. And really, we're going to continue, I suppose, you know, in the Lord's providence and sovereignty, we're going to continue the theme of a renewed mind uh, this week. So we started, I think, last week, when Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think is what Dave told me. And today we're going to roll into um, Romans 9 through 21, 9 through 21. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the text, and then uh, we're going to pray. And then I've got six points, six ways that a renewed mind operates, six ways that a renewed mind lives um, that we can learn from. Um, today, but before we jump into the text, I'm just going to do my uh, my standard context building spiel that we have to do. Is Romans chapter 12 is Romans chapter 12 for a reason? So when we go through any book of the Bible, primarily Paul's epistles, he does this thing where he identifies who God is, like what God has done, who we are, and then that ultimately defines what we do. So rarely are you going to find a book in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, where it starts out with, hey, you guys, you need to do these things. You're not going to run into that. And every one of Paul's epistles, with maybe the exception of the Galatians, he spends some time building out who God is, what God has done, who that makes us, and then he goes on to tell us what we do. So when we're looking at the book of Romans, he starts the book out of Romans by saying, by addressing it to the saints. So he, he immediately identifies who he's writing it to. He's, he's writing it to people who are followers of Jesus, who have been transformed and have been made new, have been brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He's identifying us, the Roman church, and by extension, us today as saints. He's, he's, he's starting to establish our identity. And then you can see as you roll through the book of Romans that in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on into chapter 12 by starting it out with the word therefore. And the reason why the shift happens in chapter 12 is he's taking chapters 1 through 11, he's taking the identity that has been given to us. And then he makes the shift and starts to tell us what to do. So Paul doesn't kick off his book with instructions for living, but he spends a large part of Romans helping us understand who God is, what he's done, who that makes us, and then eventually where um, it leads us as to what we do. Because if we don't understand, I'm gonna, this is the drum I'm going to beat all day today, if we don't understand our identity in Jesus, and we don't understand what Christ has done and who that has made us, none of these things that we read in these more instructive chapters are going to make sense. We're going to end up either burned out or really proud because we can accomplish all of the things that people have told us to do, that God has told us to do, or we're going to feel really discouraged because we can't accomplish all of the things that God has told us to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 12 and read all the way through chapter or verse 21 because I want to pull this theme of a renewed mind all the way through into the section we're going to cover today. So let's go ahead and read the text starting verse 1 of chapter 12, then I'll pray, and I've got six points for us this morning. All right, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all of the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. In service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, but be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for your amazing and uh, a word. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides inside of us, that convicts us of our sin, that allows us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would do that that you would renew our minds through the preaching of your word. God, you'd renew my mind, God, even as I interact with your scriptures this morning. God, be with me um, to preach your words and not my own. Lord, I pray that you would be, uh, you would be with us um, as we hear really some difficult things this morning, especially as it pertains to people that we do not like. I pray that you would help us not be defensive. You would help us not to, to feel like we're the exception to the rule. But God, I pray that you would help us realize that, Lord, we were enemies of you, yet you still loved us. We were those who were fighting against you, yet you brought us into your family. So God, I pray that you would help us understand who we are. God, you would help us understand what you have done. And God, I I pray that you would help us come to a greater understanding of who you are. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And we ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right, so like we said, Paul kicks this chapter off by instructing us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can discern the will of God in our lives and in our hearts. So a renewed mind is the foundation for the following verses. Now, these, following, these verses that we just read, 9 through 21, they're, really, they're difficult for two reasons. One, 
when you look at them, you're, especially as, a, as somebody who's, who's preaching or teaching this, it's like, well, there's not a lot to say because it's all pretty straightforward. Like, there's not a lot for me to, like, pull out of this text because it's very straightforward. Um, but the, the second difficulty for this is this text is difficult not because it's difficult to understand. This text is difficult because it's difficult to execute on. Like, it's difficult to do these things. Like, the most difficult texts in the Bible are not the ones that are shrouded in mystery. <laughs> they're the ones that say, love your enemies. You know, they're the ones that say, let your love be genuine. They're the ones that say, don't think of yourself too highly. Those are the ones that are difficult, not because we can't understand them, but because we don't want to do them. Or you find it difficult to do them. Or we feel like we're the exception to the rule in these particular situations. So, when we're looking through this text, there are six things, like I said, that a renewed mind does. The first one is a renewed mind loves genuinely. A renewed mind loves genuinely, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So Paul kicks this section, this particular section off by telling us to have the, our, love being, our love that needs to be genuine. So a renewed mind loves genuinely and it centers primarily around loving those in the church well. And you can see this through, um, throughout here where he talks about one another. Typically when, you're, when you see the words one another throughout the Pauline epistles specifically, he's talking about the saints. He's talking about the church. He's not necessarily talking about the world. He's not talking about those who do not believe. He's talking about people within the church. So you can see love one another at the beginning of verse 10 and in the middle of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. And then you can even see in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to, to show hospitality. So the verses nine through 13 center primarily around people within the church, the people to your left and the people to your right, the, the church that is in Southeast Asia, like we're talking about saints that are part of the family of God. So the basis by which we do all of these things is from a genuine basis. And, I, and here's, here's, when we're looking at this, we're kind of, I'm, I look at this and I'm like, of course we're supposed to love genuinely. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we're supposed to, you tell you love one another. Why don't you just say love one another? Why do you have to say love one another genuinely? Like, what's the meaning there that you're trying to tell me, Paul? And I think it's because if we don't have a genuine love and affection for those around us that's rooted in the genuine love and affection that Christ has given to us, we're not going to be able to outdo one another in doing good. We're not going to be able to outdo one another in showing hospitality. We're not going to be able to contribute to the needs of the saints in a, without having a genuine love. But I think secondly... When, we look, when we're talking about a genuine love, I think that Paul's probably thinking about the people that Christ got angry with the most in the New Testament. The people that Christ had issues with primarily, if you look through the Gospels, were not necessarily the people that had bad behavior. They weren't necessarily the people that were doing the wrong things. The, the, the issue that Christ had with people in the New Testament is were, were the Pharisees. They were the hypocrites. They were the ones who showed love in a very ingenuine fashion. They were the ones who showed love 
with hypocrisy. The people he, he was most critical of were the people whose faith was not genuine and their, their love was not genuine. So if our love for Christ and others is not genuine, all the rest of this falls apart. If we love out of pretense or out of selfishness, we are unable to abhor what is evil. If we are unable to hold fast to what is good, if we do not have a genuine love. A genuine love comes from a renewed mind and a renewed heart. And a genuine love can only be given to us by God. It's one of those things that's frustrating because it's like, well, I want to have a genuine love. How do I, how do, I do that? And it's like, well, you, you don't actually, you ask the Lord to do it for you because a genuine love has to come from a renewed mind and the transformation of a renewed mind comes from the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And like I will say a thousand times, if you want a renewed mind and you want a genuine love and you want to see where your sin is, you just ask the Lord and he is faithful to answer that prayer because there's nothing that Christ wants more than for you to look like him. So if, those, if our prayer life is centered around asking him to make us like himself, he's going to answer that 10 out of 10 times. He's just going to do it. An unrenewed mind loves conditionally. Its love is based on circumstance. It's based on how people are treating us. It's based upon our circumstances around us. It's based upon other things. But a genuine love comes from Christ. So first, renewed mind loves genuinely. Second, a renewed mind blesses rather than curses. We can see this in verses 14, and we can see also in verse 20. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Jump down to verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. So a renewed mind blesses rather than curses. Now, this next, this next little section here, Paul like really goes hard on the paint. He goes from like, hey, you guys should have like genuine love for one another. You guys should just like give more money to one another so that you can survive. You guys should rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation and you guys should be constant in prayer. And then he goes on to say, you should bless those who persecute you. You should bless and do not curse them. Now, you could almost like hear like the record scratch, you know, like, like, what? You want me to bless those who are persecuting me? You want me to show honor to those who are literally ripping my family out of my home? Because if you think contextually, the Roman church would have had a degree of persecution at this time. Like, the people, we're not talking about like, just, they were just being mean to him. So they're like, well, you know, we should probably bless the people that are saying bad things about us. Like, there was like legitimate persecution that were happening, that was happening within the Roman church. These people were outcasts from society. Some of these people were dying for their faith in Christ. And then obviously things got worse as time went on. So when the Roman church would have heard, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, there probably would have been a little frustration in the room. It's probably an understatement. Paul encourages these believers not only to refrain from cursing, but he goes on to say that we should bless them. I, I am very, I'm generally comfortable with the idea of not cursing those people who I don't like. Like, I'm okay. Like, that's, that seems like a reasonable thing to me is like, okay, I won't say anything bad about these people I do not like and do not like me and who are in my life trying to make my life miserable. I'm okay with that. 
Where I get really uncomfortable is when the Bible tells me, when Paul says, it's not enough to just not curse them. You actually have to proactively bless them. You have to go out of your way to bless them. This has been something that the Lord has been like working on me for a long time. I have, I have a particular person in my life that I'm not going to give this person's name. It's not one of you in the room who has been very frustrating to me over time. And, um, and the, the Lord has been working on me in this particular area for a while. Like there, there are people in my life who they slander me. They are consistently just like they know my buttons and they push them hard all the time. And I've struggled with a lot of anger towards uh, these people and this person for, for a long time. And because it just feels like, yeah, it just feels very unjust the way that I've been treated, you know, in this way. I'm not, and this, this story is not to illustrate anything good that I have done. It is just to, just, just to show a little bit of how this worked out in my own life where um, I'd been studying this text, I'd been praying over it, I've been asking the Lord, I'm like, I am so angry at this person and I can't love them. Like, I'm having so much trouble like letting my anger and my bitterness and my frustration go towards this, towards this person. And then the Lord like, I, gave me a perfect opportunity to, to do this where <clears throat> I was this person was, I was with this person and she was complaining about how she had to spend all this money on these, on these plane tickets to go, to go somewhere. And like it was difficult in their finances and blah, 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 blah. And... Um, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm like, I'm listening to her, I'm talking to her. And I, I felt like the Lord was like, you need to give her your airline miles. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I will not, it wasn't like an audible voice, but you know, you feel that nudge of just like, you know what the right thing to do is in that moment. Cause I, I travel a lot. So I have like I have a bunch of Southwest miles and it wasn't really gonna like, and I was saving these miles up so I could take my family on a, you know, on a trip because I have four kids and flying anywhere is hell on earth. And so it's like, you know, and, and I really just like, we were continuing to talk and I just really felt this conviction of like, you need to give her the, your, your airline miles so that she can go on this trip. And, and as, I, as the anger was welling up in me, it was not at her, it was actually a God for like pushing me into this situation. And this, this passage came to mind where it's like, my role here is not just, to, not just to not be angry at her, but in this moment, I have an opportunity to bless, to bless the person who's cursing me. Like, I have an opportunity to do that, and I was angry about it. But the Lord had pushed me into it. And, and you know what? I relented very reluctantly. And, and you should have seen the look on her face where I said, well, I have some airline miles and I would love to, to give them to you so you can go. And she was like literally speechless. She was like, why would, you, why would you do that is what, she, is what she said. And the only thing that came to mind is the Lord has freely given me so much in my life. Like who am I to hold it back? How, who am I not to push it forward? How, how am I not to give it away? Especially, and I didn't say this to her, I was, especially to my enemies, you know. <laughs> I should have. 
But I didn't, because I'm a mature adult. So that illustration is not, obviously, I'm not a great person. But, the, the, but this was a very practical moment for me where it was like, this is what it looks like sometimes to bless those who persecute you. This is what it looks like sometimes to go out of your way to help someone who has actually hurt you significantly over, over time. And the reason why I can do that and the reason why Paul instructs us to do that is because Christ has done that exact same thing with us. And this is why our identity is so important. Paul was literally an enemy of Jesus. He ripped people out of their homes and threw them in jail. He stood at and watched Stephen get stoned for following Jesus and looked on approvingly and held the coats of those who were throwing the rocks to kill this man. Paul was literally an enemy of God. But, and what did Christ do? Did Christ just refrain from saying bad things about Paul? Did Christ just like say, well, I'm not gonna be mean to him, but I'm not gonna love him? No, what did Christ do? Christ literally blessed him with eternal life. Christ took the enemy of God, who Paul was, and he turned him into a son. And that's what he has done with every single one of us. Those of us who follow Jesus, we were enemies of God. And instead, and instead of God cursing us, instead of God pushing us away, he turned, he turned the whole thing on its, on, its, on its head. And he said, I'm going to bless you with riches and inheritance in heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you new. You who, who cursed me, I'm going to bless. So when Paul says that we should bless instead of curse, he's not saying it just because he thinks it's the right thing to do. He's saying it because it was the experience that he lived. So if we don't understand that we were enemies of God and Christ loved his enemies in a way that none of us are gonna, ever going to have the opportunity to do to our own, we will never be able to bless rather than curse. This leads me to my next point. A renewed mind has a proper view of self. So our first point was a renewed mind loves genuinely. Secondly, a renewed mind blesses rather than curses. Third, a renewed mind has a proper view of self. Verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony, excuse me, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So Paul, here in these verses, he zooms in on our view of ourselves in this next couple of verses. He starts instructing us, but he starts by instructing us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. But the core of the message here is in verse 16, where he says, "Do not be haughty." but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. So Paul's intention here was really to call out those people who were intentionally avoiding those people that they did not like or they did not want to spend time with. He was, because, you know, there was sort of a class system even within that church where, you know, the rich people would sit over here and the poor people would sit over here and the people who smelled good would sit over here and the people who smelled horrible would sit over there and the people that covered themselves with Axe body spray we put outside. 
God. Like, there was a caste system. But within that church, Paul is calling out. He says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. But why does Paul bring up this idea of being wise in our own eyes? Like, why does he do it? And I think he does it because an unrenewed mind thinks that it has all of the answers. An unrenewed mind thinks that he knows it all. When my unrenewed mind creeps into my head, guess who's the smartest guy in the room? This guy. Like, guess who knows better than God? This guy. Like, when I am operating in my unrenewed mind, I think loving my enemy is stupid. Like, I'm not giving my airline miles to anybody. An unrenewed mind thinks more highly of himself than he ought. But without a proper view of who we are, it'll never make sense to love those who are different than us. It will never make sense to love our enemies or to pray for those who persecute us. If we think we are better than the people that are around us, especially those who have hurt us, we're never going to love them. We're never going to care for them. We're never going to help them. We're never going to bless them. If we don't see ourselves properly as sinners who have been transformed into saints by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, our interactions with those who are different than us and our interactions with those who have hurt us and who have persecuted us, they're going to be, at best, they're not going to be a genuine love and a genuine affection in the way that Christ has loved us. Fourth, a renewed mind seeks peace. A renewed mind seeks peace. Verses 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so, is it far, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Paul reiterates here that we must not repay evil for evil, but he goes another step further. It's not good enough to simply refrain from repaying evil for evil. This is very similar to the blessing and cursing that we talked about earlier. It's not good enough to simply refrain from, from kind of tit for tat, eye for an eye, you know, hand for hand, whatever. Paul doubles down and he goes on to say that it is our job to seek peace in harmony with those who are against us. So it's not enough to just not repay the evil that has been done. We are to proactively go out of our way to seek peace. Now, what Paul does here in verse 18 is kind of interesting. We can see it here. He starts with the words, if possible. Paul is saying that there may be circumstances where it may be impossible to live at peace with someone. So there now he so Paul's not just being like Pollyanna here where he's just doesn't realize that there are situations in the world where peace seeking peace on from our perspective is not possible. So there are people in the world right now that are actively trying to avoid the government who's trying to murder them because they are Christians. Like <clears throat> they're not going to be able to proactively seek peace in those situations because it it's not possible. It's not possible to live at peace with someone who is trying to shoot you. It's just not, it's not 
possible to do. But Paul doesn't give us an out. The next phrase is the kicker. As so far as it depends upon you. Paul says that there are outside circumstances that are outside of that are outside circumstances that are outside of our control that will keep us from being at peace with some people, but we are not responsible for those situations. We are responsible for what we can control. Many of you, myself included, are not striving to live at peace with other people. Some of us are overly critical. Some of us are looking for things to complain about. Some of us are looking to just go out of our way to cause trouble. I don't know. Some of us are avoiding to have to, this is probably me for most of the time. Some of us are avoiding having to apologize to other people for things that we have done because we're too proud to be able to say, hey, I shouldn't have handled it that way or hey, I shouldn't have communicated that way or hey, like my, I, I spend more time apologizing to my kids than any other person probably in the world of like, hey, I shouldn't, like, I, you, should, you should never have somebody yell at you like that. Like, I'm really sorry for doing that. Paul encourages us as people with renewed minds to go out of our way to seek peace. I just think this is really interesting here because it's like, if possible, but so far as it depends upon us, we are to seek peace with those around us. We are to strive to be positive, peaceful people, not negative, grumbling, critical people. We're to be the ones that are proactively trying to bring peace into our family relationships, bring peace into our church relationships, into our work relationships. We should have a reputation as peacemakers, as people that sacrifice our own pride. We swallow our ego. We get, well, we we swallow our pride and we sacrifice our ego, whatever. We do those things so that the other person can live because Christ has done the same thing for us. Christ sought peace with us. We were enemies of God. We were at war with him. Guess what Christ did? He didn't just repay evil for evil. He went ahead and transformed us and made us into children of God. So this is why our identity is so important when we're talking about these things. All right, next, a renewed mind trusts in God's judgment and timing. A renewed mind trusts in God's judgment and timing. So just to review, a renewed mind loves genuinely. A renewed mind blesses rather than curses. A renewed mind has a proper view of self. A renewed mind seeks peace. And then a renewed mind trusts in God's judgment and timing. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, some of you are probably thinking and and feeling like, especially as you're hearing this, like, love your enemies, seek peace with those who are cursing you, bless these people. I'm sure that many of you, I mean, are thinking, but but you, you don't understand how hurt I have been. You don't understand what people have done to me. Like, you don't understand, like, the abuse that I've had to go through. Like, and I don't think that Paul is discounting any of those things, and I'm certainly not discounting those things. There are, and, there, and just to, like, zoom out a little bit, there are many people all over the world that have had their spouses murdered, that have had their children raped, 
who have had their families ripped apart by people who are enemies of God. And, and I'm sure many of you are thinking, you're telling me that I'm supposed to bless those people, those people who have murdered my family, I'm, you're just supposed to bless them? I'm supposed to just let it go? I'm supposed to just roll over and just let the world be the world and, oh, it's okay? Paul's not saying those things at all. And you can see, obviously, in, in Romans 13 that the role of the government is to punish those who um, have done wrong in exacting vengeance and justice. But Paul tells us here that we are not to take vengeance into our own hands, but rather that trust that God will ultimately make all things right. The hope that we have in the midst of persecution, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of us being wronged is not that we, that we get to give people what they deserve. It's not the hope. The hope is that our God is a just judge. Our hope is that all things are going to be made right, that there is a judgment, that the Lord will bring justice upon those who have done wrong. He will return at the end of the time. He will judge the living and the dead. And the justice that we so desire will be taken care of in God's way and in God's timing. But we also have to remember that we often want vengeance and justice to come on our timetable, and we often want it to come to everyone except for us. We're happy that God is slow in delivering wrath in our situations, but we are very quick to bring it in to others. God's kindness and forbearance, this is, we just have to remember this, our, that God's kindness and forbearance is meant to lead us to repentance. So we must trust in God's timing and in God's plan that he is the just judge and he is a loving father and that he will make all things new and all things right at the end of time. He's going to do it. So when we feel like people are getting away with it, when we feel like we are letting people just do wrong and we should, how, where's the justice in this? Justice will come. That's the beauty of our faith is that the world that we're living in now will be renewed, that Christ will return, that he will judge the living and the dead, and that every tear will be wiped away, every wrong will be made right, and we will be able to live in eternity with him. That's our hope. Our hope is not that, we, that you know, our enemies get what they deserve. Our hope is that Christ will return. And honestly, we should be hoping and praying that they, as enemies of God, will become children of God as well. Lastly, a renewed mind acts like Christ. A renewed mind acts like Christ. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul caps this section off by concluding what he started in verse 9. We are not to overcome, we are to overcome evil with good. Now, I, sound, I know I sound like a broken record, but this is exactly what Christ did for us. When faced with overwhelming evil, that evil did not overcome him. When Christ was cursed upon that cross, he did not shower down cursing, curses on them, but rather he blessed them. Christ fed those 
who were hungry. He gave living water to those who were thirsty. He did not repay evil for evil, but he rather, he overcame evil with good. And that evil that Christ overcame lives, lived and sort of lives inside of each and every one of us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he came, he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved a thousand times over and he redeemed us by his blood. He took our evil and he exchanged it for good. So how much more today should we be doing that in our own lives? That when we understand that we are no better than our enemies, when we understand that we are no less deserving of wrath than they are, only then can we understand what it means to love them and only then understand what it means to bless those who persecute us. And this is why, just to bring a full circle, this is why our identity is so important. If we don't understand who we are in Jesus, we're not going to be able to love those around us well, especially our enemies. When our minds are renewed and our hearts are transformed, only then can we grasp grasp the magnitude of what are we here to do in Christ. So as we close, I know all of this can feel really overwhelming. There's a simplicity to what we talked about today, but just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy for any of us. So really our takeaways today, I think, are to ask the Lord to renew our minds. As we sing and as we worship and as we go into our community groups this week, as we go into our own personal times with the Lord, I think that, you know, I'm... I, as I'm revisiting this text again, like my prayer is that the Lord will renew my mind and help me see my enemies as people that, that need Christ, that need to be loved, that need to be cared for, that need to be transformed. And I think also that we, we need to ask the Lord that we um, should see ourselves as we ought, to, as we ought that we would not see ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but we would be able to see ourselves in the proper light. As we walk away, realizing that we are no better than our enemies. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't really even know what else to say. Like, it's all just kind of here, like in this text. Like, the Lord died for us while we were yet sinners, and yet he still went to the cross for us. Like, he still died for us, even though he looked at us as enemies of God, and he decided, you know what? Those people hate me, but guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go die the most painful death possible and have separation from God the Father so that these people can live. Like, I don't know, I don't know what love looks like any more than that. So if Christ can do that, and he can do it for us, how much more can we do it in our own lives? It doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that we need to ask the Lord to transform us so that it becomes part of who we are. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it sharpens us and changes us and convicts us and brings us to you. God, I pray today that you would, uh, you would give us the opportunity to, to be convicted of our sin, that you would bring us to you, that you would transform our hearts, that you renew our minds, that you would help us, though, help us love those who do not love us, help us bless those who are cursing us, and Lord, help us show them what it looks like for a holy God to love their enemies. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. Thank you for doing that for us. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.